0: Welcome to the Global Medical Device Podcast, where today's brightest minds in the medical device industry go to get their most useful and actionable insider knowledge direct from some of the world's leading medical device experts and companies. Greenlight Guru is committed to improving the quality of life, and now we're ready to improve the quality of education and training in the medical device industry. Greenlight Guru Academy is a comprehensive training resource for anyone looking to learn industry best practices with actionable training from industry experts. You'll get on-demand courses that allow you to move at your own pace on topics related to quality and regulatory, product development, design controls, risk management, dot control. Honestly, it's too many to fit into a short ad. So if you're ready to level up your medical device education, visit greenlight.guru forward slash academy today. Hey everyone, welcome back. Today we're going to be talking with Raul Kalampunatil from the Arbor Group, and I hope he will forgive me if I've mispronounced his last name, but we're going to be talking about digitizing your software as a medical device testing. Raul is uh, Vice President in Arbor Group's Digital Risk Practice, where he builds teams that helps uh, companies proactively manage their regulatory and compliance risks as they embark or continue on their journey toward a true digital enterprise. Um, we go through a lot of different details regarding how to test, um, what a software medical device is, what potential testing could be required. It's a very good episode as far as the, the overview and the risk uh, related to your software medical device and its testing definitely recommend you check this out. Let us know if you have any feedback or comments at podcast at greenlight.guru. Thanks. Hey, good to be back. Hey, Raul, how are you doing today? I'm doing great, Adrian. How are you? Doing well. So just wanted to talk to you today a little bit about software as a medical device. We have a lot of different things to cover. Before we just jump straight into maybe the specific things, I wondered if you maybe wanted to give a quick overview of software as a medical device and the reason i asked that is i recently heard a uh, uh, assume zero knowledge and infinite intelligence and i thought that might be a, a good way to start some some podcast but anyway wanted to what are your thoughts on software as a medical device
1: yeah i i think it's uh, very important to uh, you know really talk about like what it is at the outset because yeah that's uh, a lot of people get confused with it you know there is software as a medical device software in medical devices there is uh, mdds and mobile apps so a lot of different things going on so let me start off with uh, what exactly is the software as a medical device so software as a medical device is any software that is intended to be used for uh, for a medical purpose and it performs that purpose without uh, being part of a hardware medical device so uh, the the way it is different from a, a traditional medical device is that it's capable of running on any general purpose uh, platform and it it can work on you know typically it works on many different platforms so for example it could work on your um, mobile phone your smartphone it could work on an android platform or a ios platform and uh, uh, so so that is uh, that is where it's it's different because there is no physical device in this case that you can touch and feel. it's It's purely software. Uh, but it could uh, I mean it might be connected to a physical device, but it's it, it's not needed for that device to function. So SMD, as we call it software as a medical device, uh, may be used in combination with uh, with the physical medical device. It could be used with um, uh, with other SAMD devices, or it could also be interfaced with the general purpose software. So, but, so
0: what's the difference yeah. in SAMD and SIMD, software as a medical device and software in a medical device?
1: So uh, uh, so software as medical device is, is the one that is, you know, kind of independent of the hardware. Software in a medical device is it's, it's, uh, it's part of that, uh, it's embedded in that uh, medical device. Okay. Uh, yeah if if that uh, medical device uh, if a physical medical device needs some software to for it to function that uh, that wouldn't fall under samd
0: okay okay. is there ever a gray area between the two where maybe a regular or, you know as you're going to submit that um, device to the regulatory agencies where you're like is it a software as a medical device or software in a medical is there are there any gray areas?
1: Yeah, I would say the uh, the one biggest gray area that I've seen in practice, uh, you know, having worked with this in the last few years, is between SAMD and sometimes MDDS. And MDDS, again, a lot of acronyms are going to be used today. <laughs> MDDS is a medical device data system. So essentially, what MDDS does is that it trans it can transfer data, it can store data, or it can display medical device data or medical imaging data. Uh, but it doesn't do anything that helps with the decision-making. Uh, in, 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 in What I mean is that it doesn't have an algorithm or any business rule that, uh, that converts the data it is getting into some other output. It, okay. it just transfers data from point A to point B, or it just stores data. So a lot of uh, uh, the gray area usually is between MDDS and SAMD, uh, SAMD uh, helps with, uh, you know, with various uh, medical uh, uh, decisions by practitioners. Uh, for, uh, I'll give you just a quick uh, few uh, actual uh, examples that may help. So, uh, and I'll try to make the distinction between MDDS and SAMD clear with that example. So, um, there are a lot of remote monitoring devices that we use these days, right? Uh, even when, they, when the pandemic hit us, uh, and the hospital the hospitals were getting uh, overwhelmed a lot of uh, um, uh, healthcare providers they started uh, going with this remote monitoring model where they could treat the patients at their own ho- uh, homes uh, especially the ones that are not you know super critical uh, by uh, by having them wear various uh, uh, you know devices that uh, monitor their vitals so for example a pulse oximeter but the pulse oximeter is won't be able to transmit uh, the readings uh, especially if it goes below a certain threshold to the to the healthcare provider who's at a physically at a very uh, distant place so in, in that case there are uh, there are software device software that actually takes the input from those medical devices and it, the software is usually on the smartphone so when the patient is wearing a pulse oximeter the pulse oximeter sends a reading to the uh, smartphone which is uh, placed in uh, proximity to that uh, to that patient and that uh, smartphone in turn transmits that information to a cloud based uh, central uh, centralized location where the uh, where the doctor can see uh, the the vital parameters of that patient so if that software is just sending the reading from that uh, uh, the pulse oximeter, which is attached on the on the patient's body to, to the doctor's dashboard, then it would be just an MDDS, because it's not doing anything with the data. If it shows the oxygen concentration is uh, 90, it would just show that uh, it is 90 on the doctor's dashboard. Okay. Now that yeah, makes... That is, yeah. Go ahead. Yeah. Sorry. Just one more thing. So yeah. that is MDDS. So... If the same software were to have some thresholds and uh, you know alert the doctor, so say the doctor sets up a threshold like uh, if it's below uh, 92, uh, I need to get a notification right away because then you need to more actively monitor the patient. So in that case, the this if the software has that uh, uh, algorithm built into it or the you know or that rule where it uh, takes the reading, it analyzes the reading and then does some action based on it in this case uh, generating an alarm in that case it's a software as a medical device wow okay interesting so
0: um it's it really seems to boil down to uh indication for use maybe a few other pieces of criteria yes yes yeah one thing one thing i'd ask about that then um do you see uh, or, or, or have companies when they look at this, you know, the possibility to just stay in the MDDS realm uh, versus going, you know, taking that leap into software as a medical device. Um, that one feature where it would alert the doctor—it seems like it'd be a powerful feature to have, even if it's an MDDS. Um, and maybe, maybe we're getting into the conversation. What is the difference in MDDS and software as a medical device as it relates to the actual regulatory submission or the actual development? Can you speak to that?
1: Yeah, sure. That's a very good question, actually. Uh, so, the MDDS, uh, FDA has, uh, uh, like, earlier they had a different uh, guidance on this, but now the latest guidance says that all MDDS is considered class one. So, you don't have to really go through that uh, pathway uh, for MDDS. Okay. But if it's uh, SAMD, you still have to go through the uh, regulatory pathway to get it, uh, bring it to the market.
0: Okay. And so if companies are are looking at this, these different pathways, um, yeah. W- have you gone through that process or had that conversation where, um, adding that feature that will bring it up to a Sam D or a class two level, uh, is that something that maybe they would say, well, we don't really want to, to pursue that or, or is that even a determining factor? Does that play into people's decisions in the development process? Or have you seen that?
1: Yeah, it, it, I mean, it, uh, so, so uh, let me also clarify that you know the, sure. the regulators themselves have a lot of. Uh, uh, it takes uh, you know some time to get used to this because the the guidance is there, but when you go to like on a case by case basis, sometimes it's really hard to uh, determine uh, which cate- category it falls under, and um, uh, that uh, alert or alarm function that was just in one example. There could be other things like that um, where the software is helping make some kind of decision by by adding something more than what it received as an input so for example if you're getting a lot of images if the software tries to read that image and say identify a potential health condition from that image that you know that also puts it in under the samd category so as far as um, the um, the manufacturers are concerned um, I mean, uh, MDDS category is uh, you know much easier to bring to the market, <laughs> but if if your product is sophisticated and it's it's really meant for a specific purpose, uh, uh, I mean, it makes sense to go go through this uh, route because uh, otherwise you are you are not really um, when you when you do the internet use, you really have to say that it's I mean it may have more capacity than what you're uh, what you're claiming to be.
0: Sure, that makes sense. Yeah. Okay. Well, so the standards in place that I think of are IEC 62304. Um how do those impact SaMD organizations and how have organizations been implementing those uh, that you've seen?
1: Yeah. So, um, as far as the uh, uh, the regulatory landscape is uh, concerned for uh, SaMD, um, you know, there's an organization called International Medical Device Regulators Forum, IMDRF. Mhm um so it, it's a it's a voluntary group of uh, medical device regulators from from across the world uh, fda is a very active member of that forum uh, of you know imdrf and they uh, issued the guidance for uh, software as a medical device um so it, i mean in essence uh, they tried to first define what is samd then they tried to uh, you know how do you approach the samd so there's they try to uh, categorize the samd again all the SAMDs are not are not equal you could have uh you know uh, like you could have like two three or um different categories right sure uh depending on the criticality and you know whether it's treating a serious or non serious condition so it could have those different levels so Uh, So there is uh, that categorization is there, and then when you approach the SAMD um, itself, uh, 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 the IMDRF uh, uh, does uh, you know they do refer to that uh, IEC 62304 for your for a software design uh, and and this uh, system development lifecycle. One thing different from a traditional medical device for SAMD as far as IEC uh, 62304 is concerned, for a uh, for a traditional medical device usually you know you go through that uh, life cycle and then um, it's it's pretty steady state after that like once you uh, design and uh, uh, develop and manufacture the product it's not very often that you you change the pro- product for software as a medical device uh, just by nature there are so many frequent changes there are new upgrades there are releases and so um, on so so your life cycle has to be they call, they use a term instead of sdlc system development life cycle they use the term mm-hmm. uh, tplc which is the uh, total product life cycle because the life cycle uh, you know it doesn't end with the mar- marketing of the product it, you even after it goes to the market you need to uh, monitor it in the, um, right. and collect yeah collect real world data and um, and also, uh, you have to push up, uh, you know, the new versions to the uh, customers. You have to test it before you push it out. So all that is there. So so it's quite different in that way.
0: So how do companies? So wait, yeah, I I totally agree. the The changes are much rap- more rapid in uh, software, and uh, yeah, there's there's different challenges with that as far as uh, change management. We don't necessarily have to go into that necessarily, but the testing itself. Um, one thing I might ask is uh, how does a company prepare for the softwares a medical device te- testing? and and maybe if I took a step back, you know you have uh, software companies that are pure software, and then you have medical devices that are pure medical. and then it seems that we're we're seeing a lot more software developers come into the medical device world to develop software as a medical device. And the amount of verification validation, I don't know if it's the same or uh, um, or if it's more rigorous. I would expect it to be more rigorous. But how do companies prepare for the level of vigor, uh, of rigor that a, a SAMD would be would require?
1: Yeah, so that's like, again an excellent question. So I would say, I mean, it's not necessarily more or less. I would put it. Uh, I wouldn't put it that way. I would put it more like it's it's really different. Mm. What do you do here? because the one thing that it makes it easier i would say is it takes out a lot of those physical aspects out of the equation so you know you don't have a machine you don't have to calibrate it all those things are not there yeah uh, but on the other hand uh, you know just the nature of uh, software it's uh, uh, it's something that you, you cannot uh, uh, touch or see uh, it, it's all code so mm-hmm. so the uh, fr- from a testing perspective especially um, there's a lot of things that uh, you need to um, pay attention to. One is the, uh, that's a whole uh, clinical evaluation um, that needs to be made. And uh, uh, basically, there should be a valid clinical uh, association between your SAMDs output and the uh, targeted clinical condition. You, you need to be able to demonstrate that that uh, that relationship is there. So, uh, so for, you know, step one is really to make sure that through testing, you have to make sure that uh, the uh, the SAMD correctly processes the input data and uh, provides the accurate uh, and precise output. That is, uh, you know, step one of testing. The step two is really to show that that uh, output that you got that meets the intended purpose for your targeted uh, population in in that uh, clinical context. So, okay.
0: Yeah. So. Um, and when they're setting that up, uh, I suppose the, uh, I guess it just depends on the standard of care at the time that they're, uh, they're using to evaluate it against, whether it's a a doctor's determination of, um, I don't know, imaging uh, versus the algorithm's determination from those same images. Is that kind of uh, part of what that clinical validation is, is evaluating?
1: Yeah, that's definitely uh, one way to do that, but I would take a step back. So if you look at the uh, so background. Um, first of all, the the quality management uh, system or quality management process that has to be established even before you uh, you know even before you think about the product, right? Like even before you design the product. Sure. So that that should take uh, into account all the things that are different for a SAMD. So your traditional uh, and you you actually used uh, two good examples. One is software companies that are bringing SAMD products to the market, and the other one is the uh, traditional medical device manufacturers bring SAMD. Um, so the traditional manufacturers, they usually already have a quality management system. It, it just needs to be adopted uh, and, uh, and and slightly changed to, to accommodate all the things that the SAMD uh, needs. Uh, but uh, when it comes to the uh, software companies, a lot of them, uh, they don't have a, a, a quality management system uh, that is that stands up to the fda requirements i mean they may have something from a good it practice standpoint but not from a, a fda uh, you know life sciences standpoint yeah and let so, me let me ask yeah.
0: you something about i don't want to cut you off um, yeah, no, but, there's something you asked about the uh, with the, or you said with the qms they they may have an established qms um it just needs to be adopted and maybe slightly changed what are those slight changes in your mind that, that might be required in a typical medical device company that's starting to develop software?
1: So um, the the traditional uh, medical devices, they, you know, it, it goes through a very, uh, I would say very re- uh, regimented process where, you know, you have a design file, you 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 kind of know things ahead of time, you, you want it to do in a certain way, and then you uh, go and build it, then you test it, and mm-hmm. then, um, you know, you... You take it to the regulatory pathway, and then you launch the product. When it comes to SAMD, uh, just because of the, uh, you know, that's no you're not physically building anything; it's it's coding. So, the the way the coding works, you know, we're in 2022. It's <laughs> it's a very agile environment, right? I mean, it's not like uh, where you 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 kind of uh, go into it with uh, uh, without knowing a lot of things. So. Uh, and your testing has to be kind of uh, dynamic, along with the with the design and development. So, uh, so what it means is that you uh, you could uh, possibly use uh, some kind of methodologies like agile or DevOps, which are more suited to these kind of uh, you know rapid development uh, and then continuous change kind of situations. Uh, so that is one aspect. Uh, so having that, uh, the QMS should be able to support. Uh, a, a, a quick turnover. I mean, it should not become the bottleneck uh, yeah. like it usually becomes. Uh, <laughs> that That is one key key aspect of uh, SAMD when it comes to QMS. There's a few things that I've had
0: traditional companies ask me about. And one is, uh, you know, is the SAMD required to have a DMR, for example, or, um, you know, like a UDI? And how, does, how do those things uh, tie in? I, you know, that's almost worth... At some point, someday, you know, putting like a a flow chart tra- or or a kind of a category next to each other and lining up, linking the two. One is tra- traditional; one software is a medical device, and just saying, "Hey, this is to software is a medical device," etc. But do you? Can you comment on that? Do you have
1: any uh, specifics? Yeah, sure. Yeah, yeah. So, so the, that again is a good question because uh, that, that's one one area that people kind of get stumped. Yeah. So without using, uh, you know, the exact uh, uh, words for that. Uh, the, when it comes to software, your design is really uh, you know you could have the, all these kind of uh, technical specifications, functional specifications, user requirements. Those are uh, are really your uh, your DHR and all those kind of files. So uh, again, uh, the when I refer back to that IMDRF uh, framework, uh, that that uh, method should be defined in your uh, in your uh, lifecycle process, and and that should be documented. So you need to keep the documentation of uh, all the design uh, that you're doing for the software, um, and uh, both from a technical perspective and a functional perspective, and and any additions that uh, that are that are made. And and in this in this uh, SMD world, there are quite a few changes that uh, that happen frequently. So so all that should be retained and that is where uh, uh digitalizing the uh, all these files becomes very uh, handy because um if you if you look at uh, any of these uh, systems that uh, support agile i mean there are a lot of tools out there in the market yeah uh, where uh, it, it becomes very easy to do that i mean you have your user stories and then they uh, directly you have your test cases they all correlate so all that goes into your uh, into your file I mean that's what you're treating.
0: Okay, yeah, and I definitely, um, uh, I definitely agree. I much rather see uh, things, you know, on the computer as far as being able to tie them to each other and link things versus having them on paper. And that's, of course, that's something Greenlight Group kind of, uh, you know, we. That's the reason we're in existence, Um, but even more so if you're a software developer. Uh, One other question about. just wanted to run this by you. Uh, if we look at the design controls process itself, and if we move from the traditional manufacturer who's developing software and go go to the other spectrum, the software developer who is now moving into the medical device space, they may be scratching their heads about this design controls process. What are user needs? What are design inputs, design outputs? Um, and the thing that I've seen this sort of correlated with is user needs to a software developer that kind of correlates to the epics And then design inputs are kind of like those user stories and design outputs, the the actual lines of code. Would you agree with that? Or do you have any um, refinement to put there?
1: Uh, I think I I broadly agree with that. I mean, there are going to be some nuances of that. (laughs) uh, But yeah, I mean, you start with the Epic and uh, you have your user stories. So... When it comes to this SAMD, I mean, initially you, you kind of know what the product is going to do. It's just um, the many things that you need to achieve the final output. So, so you capture all this as your user stories, all the details. And then, um, uh, I mean, and uh, actually this is one area where a lot of automated testing is uh, is actually encouraged um, because SAMD is actually a good candidate for that because, uh, because of the nature of the, of the product. So, uh, yeah.
0: And, yeah. And so that, and that maybe we could uh, just go straight into that. I'm curious what your thoughts are as far as manual versus automated testing. Um, how, how would a company go about setting that up or evaluating this is a good candidate?
1: So, um, I mean, I think uh, for, for, as far as uh, automated versus manual is, is concerned, I mean, I'll come to this MD, but I think it's, it's a much bigger, uh, a conversation happening in the industry because uh, the regulators themselves are pushing uh, towards CSA, which is you know computer software assurance instead of computer software validation CSV, um, and automated testing is a big part of it. I mean, it's, it the, the the other big piece is the risk based approach. So um, FDA itself is encouraging you know moving away from that the documentation intensive uh, traditional approach and moving more towards a risk based approach where you where you uh, do more testing for the items that are, have more risk uh, and and also uh, use automated testing for that so that's the uh, that's the larger um, uh, context uh, and when yeah. you put yeah and when you put samd there i mean the uh, the one thing that you can uh, really achieve is by automated testing is that the the extent of the test uh, testing or the test coverage uh, that can be uh, that can be really enhanced by doing automated testing because if you do manual testing you usually use an uh, like a test data and like like one example of each scenario with automated testing you can literally run hundreds of scenarios within the same time and with the same uh, kind of effort and uh, you could use your uh, testing resources your human resources, Towards the more high-risk areas where manual intervention is required, uh, you could do it that way. Um, and then, what yeah, but uh, one uh, there are some challenges too. Uh, I would um, I would say that uh, one uh, one pro, uh, you know one thing that's new with Samd is that it works across multiple multiple uh, platforms. Yeah, right. So it works on Android. Uh, iOS on Microsoft, so uh, your uh, t- your automated testing tool also has to be a- uh, you know adapted to all these different uh, platforms, and uh, the um, uh, the other thing is the platforms themselves change. So if you uh, I don't know if you use Android or. Or an iPhone?
0: I'm embarrassed to say because invariably somebody's going to put, I use an iPhone.
1: (laughs) Yeah. So you can see how, you know, how frequently they push notifications and because it's all internet-based, you know, it's kind of hard to keep uh, track of it. I mean, at a personal level, it's okay if you miss a notification. No big Mm -hmm. deal. But when you're uh, doing a product that is going to impact uh, patient safety, um, I mean, all these things become challenging. So... So it's just uh, very important to stay ahead of that, and and make sure that the automated testing um, uh, is takes care of all the scenarios that uh, that your uh, product is uh, capable yeah. of working on.
0: That makes that makes total sense. You mentioned a phrase there that I, I don't think I'm familiar with. And I wonder if you can maybe educate me. So CSA versus CSV, Computer Software Assurance. It, it is that? Am I getting yeah, the acronym yeah. right? Right. Um, what are the difference in those two? So,
1: so I think I kept my promise of using a lot of acronyms. Today. <laughs> You're doing great. You're doing great. Yeah. <laughs> so, so traditionally, uh, and I think, um, I think the initial regulation came sometime in uh, 1992, if I'm not mistaken. So the, uh, that's when uh, we went from um, uh, you know paper based forms to to actually electronic records, and you know 21 CFR Part 11. So uh, CSV is, um, you know, kind of dated in the sense that it it came out at that time, and we have been using it still. Mm -hmm. Uh, So what uh, is almost 30 years. Yeah, okay. Um, So then the traditional approach, uh, you know, it's it's very uh, uh, documentation intensive, for one. Mm -hmm. You test everything, you keep a record, uh, you know, you sign and date everything. I mean, it's just... uh, I mean, it it started with, uh, you know, has everything with good intentions, but it became very, uh, I would say, kind of clerical uh, over a certain period of time. Mm -hmm. And uh, we just have like lots and lots of uh, paperwork. And uh, I mean, when I say paperwork, even digital uh, and and testing without actually uh, looking really at the risk, uh, you know, of, of different products. So. Uh, say you have a software that is actually monitoring a patient's, uh, uh, you know, say say their heartbeat or something like that, which is used in a highly critical uh, uh, hospital kind of situation. And then you have a software that is, uh, that is uh, managing uh, consent, uh, which is, you know, for, before you go for a procedure, you need to get the patient's uh, sign and date sure. and all that. Okay if you look at these two software the the one that is for the consent management it is important to get get and record the consent but it's not directly impacting the patient safety it's more it's informational and it uh, you know they make they can make informed decisions and uh, and give the consent but this the one that actually uh, the other software that actually physically monitor uh, sorry the, the software that monitors the patient's physical condition or the heartbeat, mm-hmm. that is a much higher risk because anything wrong with that software, it's, it's literally puts the patient at risk. So, so the reason I gave that example is because in the CSV approach, we kind of uh, uh, you know, we don't really look at the risk uh, 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 risk for, uh, you know, before doing that validation. I mean, it's um, it kind of follows a like one size fits all kind of approach in in many many ways. I mean, the example that I used is actually quite dramatic. I mean, there's <laughs> there's no comparison between those two software. But sometimes, you know, there are soft. There's different pieces of software. Some some are uh, like high risk, medium risk, low risk, uh, and then you have to tailor your uh, uh, your testing and validation depending on that uh, risk. So. Um, so the CSA approach, which is the uh, soft computer software assurance, it it's just uh, takes a more uh, risk-based approach, and it the intention being to make sure that the you know software is meeting the intended use, uh, but you really focus on the areas that are higher risk, and and you could also use more automated testing. Okay, so that's really
0: where what it boils down to is your uh the the level of focus on the area that is uh affected the most by risk exactly exactly okay no that makes sense thank you for explaining that that makes that makes a lot of sense so when does csa is that a relatively new um initiative
1: yeah it has been uh i think in the industry it has been going around for a few years i would say three four years uh okay but uh i mean it, nothing has been promulgated yet it's uh I think there will be some guidance which is expected, okay. um, but but that's that that has been the uh, um, you know the informal uh, push towards uh, CSA. Okay, so
0: in your in your experiences, uh, then ba- you know, knowing the the different types of validation, what are some uh, best practices that you've seen, and maybe you know, I always learn from the pitfalls as well. So I don't know whichever direction you want to go, the positive or the negative. But uh, best practices for companies setting up their their test procedures, or, or versus maybe some common pitfalls that they should be avoiding.
1: So I'll start off with the best practices. Um, I, I think we uh, uh, we mentioned this little earlier. Um, the for as far as sampling is concerned, it, it's it's best to use. Uh, a methodology that is more suited for software, uh, so uh, uh, and especially in a changing environment. So methodologies like agile and uh, agile and DevOps they help uh, manage these uh, projects better. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, automated testing definitely helps um, because it helps uh, you know increase your um, increase your depth of testing, increase the number of scenarios. Um, and you really don't need to do a sample based approach you could uh, you, you could kind of test the entire population so for example if, um, if you're using say a, a samd which is like an um, image which is an imaging software that kind of reads uh, uh, from different images and uh, and then comes to certain conclusions you could feed it with like thousands of images uh, when you're doing an automated test yeah. Um, whereas if you are doing a manual test, I mean, it's it's very hard for one person to <laughs> you know go through multiple images. So, typically, what people do is they use like one case which is a positive scenario, a few cases, a few uh, you know one case that is negative scenario, and then they're uh, done with testing. But in this, when you use automated testing, it's much more um, robust and it's much more convincing because you use much but uh, bigger population. That makes total sense. and yeah. You've got me convinced
0: on uh, automation 100%. But so I, w- I want to ask you, though, about the agile approach. You mentioned that it's a little bit better to use the agile approach. Um, and that makes sense. That's what the software industry is sort of uh, used to anyway. But I'm curious what your, if, if you could get a little bit more specific, what is it about the agile approach that uh, could potentially develop a better, safer, more effective medical device?
1: Uh, i think the the biggest uh, difference is that the uh, testing is kind of embedded into the process it doesn't uh, have to wait for different stages to be complete so your testing team is involved uh, through the uh, development process uh, instead of you know if you use a more traditional like waterfall approach you first do all the design you yeah. start building it and then you go and test it so so just based on the nature of SMD, um, you know, if you're doing that, uh, if you're do coding for a certain software, it's it's better uh, if your testing team or, you know, you know really your uh, quality management team is involved in the process, you you know, you, you kind of uh, reduce the, the time it takes to come out with the final product.
0: You know, and, and part of the reason I asked, I don't mean to lead the witness necessarily, but um, I love that you kind of contrast it with the waterfall approach. And while... Some physical devices, you know, it's, it's in a lot of development, you can't necessarily adopt an agile approach with a physical device. But if we kind of like zoom out and look industry wide, some of these agile approaches could benefit the development of physical devices as well. Now, it may wind up having to be a, an agile approach, but um, do you have any thoughts on that? I know we're on software's
1: medical device, but um, yeah, I don't want to get you out of your realm necessarily. <laughs> but <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, I usually, I mean, I'm not very, really, uh, well versed in uh, like uh, actually testing the physical devices. Uh, my uh, um, area of work it it's mostly software related. Even for physical medical devices, we support uh, testing the software that is used as part of it or used yeah. as an interface. Uh, but I think uh, you know just uh, taking a common sense approach. I think it it's it's kind of very hard to fit uh, a physical device into that model because you you cannot really uh, test it till it gets to a certain stage uh, whereas uh, software it's it's different you can if you have one one unit uh, completed you could test just that unit that is that is true and and
0: i i definitely agree with you on that um however there is kind of a i don't know there's there seems to be an approach in the industry at least i run into sometimes where verification uh is created as is sort of treated as an event a moment in time versus a series of tests that could potentially be done on features. Uh, granted, you know, need to be done on the to be marketed device at some point, but um still uh just a series of of testing. But maybe that's nope. a, a conversation for a different day. But uh yeah, any definitely. other th- <laughs> any other thoughts on the best practices or or common pitfalls? I, I kind of cut you off a little bit. You you were talking about the approach and then the uh uh the automation any other um, tips or, yeah, uh, yeah, those, yeah,
1: yeah. Those two points were you know more related to the quality side of it. Uh, another important aspect uh, to remember is that uh, it, it it doesn't end with uh, you know testing is kind of continuous in this approach even after the product is on the market because you're pushing uh, version upgrades. Uh, sometimes it's it's your uh, the platforms that are pushing it right. So if your SAMD product is on Android and Android um, comes up with the new New version. I mean, -hmm. at a minimum, you have to make sure that your product still works on that new platform or or new version of that platform. Um, uh, You know, that's the minimum. Uh, Or you could, uh, if you want to uh, use some of the new features and, you know, extended capabilities of the new version, you could also enhance your product. Uh, And then in that case, uh, you could, uh, uh, you know, you will need to do some additional uh, testing. Uh, so that is one thing, and then uh, a very important thing to uh, keep note is that it's 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 kind of important to keep track of all your uh, all the people that are using the product, whether they're customers or not, uh, because when you have these new versions, uh, it it might need to be pushed out to the people who are already using them. So, so it it uh, for a software as a medical device uh, that uh, post market activities are also equally important. One question about that. So, if you have, um,
0: and so we're sort of coming at this from different different worlds. Your your software. I'm I'm not as much. I'm more of a physical device guy. But uh, I do know, you know, when you have a software that has to be, uh, like you said, enhanced perhaps for a new version. Um, those enhancements could they uh, if there's not if there's not backwards compatibility. And you have to wind up maintaining two versions. For example, maybe you have, as you mentioned, your user base. Um, some section or segment of that user population is going to stay with an older version for whatever reason uh, of that Android or or what, of of whatever device they have. You still have to maintain that compatibility. Is that accurate, or do you have? Are there any things from a regulatory or a quality standpoint that? Need to be considered when when making those changes.
1: Yeah, again, a really good question because uh, yeah, that's that's again some of the practical uh, challenges that are there. So uh, so it, it could go go two ways. One, um, you know, if you're bringing in a new functionality, there are going to be customers who say that you know I don't want that functionality. Yeah. So so from maintaining that existing. Uh, uh, functionality is, you know existing version is important uh, but there may be cases where uh, the it may not work anymore it may not you know m- maybe there's a technical reason so that is why this uh, communication is very important even post market you need to know and you know publish it um, the imdr framework also talks about uh, decommissioning you, you have to provide a, a way for your uh, existing commission uh, customers to know that they need to decommission the product if it's uh, kind of end of life, uh, for lack of a better term. Okay. Uh, because uh, it's it, it's like when it's a physical device, it's that much easier because you know where it's located or or you could find out where it is located and there is only so many of them. I mean, this software as a medical device, you could literally download it on your laptop, right? Yeah. <laughs> or, or on so just keeping track of that, uh, you know, how many uh, customers are using it, it, it becomes a challenge. And uh, that is where uh, that's where one of the biggest differences is because it's it's a software. I mean, making copies of it is not uh, not a big deal. Whereas if it's a hardware device, I mean, you have to manufacture it. You cannot make a copy of it. <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah.
0: No, that makes sense. Yeah, yeah there there are unique, uh, or at least there seem to be unique challenges with software as a medical device. So some things I think could potentially be um, covered under physical uh, physical device regulations, but there's definitely some things that are unique for sure. Uh, when I think about even labeling, like the, the UDI and changing those, you know, changing those iterations, but but still having a, a device on the market that is, uh, you know, a previous version and and having a new UDI, the labeling itself, you know, something as simple as, as that. Uh, it, it seems even to be a, at least in my mind, it seems like it would be a challenge as well. Um, I don't know if you want to comment on that. It's okay if you don't, but. Uh.
1: No, no, that is, that's a, uh, you know, definitely one area. And even for your, uh, you know, IFUs, uh, you need to also um, uh, instructions for use. You also need to mention in that that you know this pro- product is um, is likely to change. Uh, I mean, if you don't know your exact uh, release schedule, I mean, you don't have to provide that level of detail, but um, you have to provide uh, some way of uh, maintaining that communication. You could uh, also provide them. Uh, somewhere to reach out to you, like a you know toll-free number or an email that's monitored uh, email inbox, where where people constantly know about what is going on with their product. Uh, because uh, yeah, like you said, it's 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 going to uh, it's not like a one-time thing with the software as a medical device. Yeah, um, that is actually another thing that I, I I think I didn't mention so far that is different from. Uh, Physical medical devices that uh, uh, the cybersecurity that is a big uh, component, uh, you know, big yes. consideration when it comes to this. Uh, yeah, because been, uh, yeah, yeah, no, go ahead. Sorry. <laughs> no, no, uh, uh, yeah, because uh, you know many reasons. I mean, a lot of them are very obvious. I mean, it's so uh, you you could put it on your uh, different uh, laptops, mobile platforms. So the chances of somebody hacking into it and and thereby impacting patient safety is that much higher uh, versus a physical machine, which you can physically uh, secure. Um, So yeah, yeah, and FDA has issued guidance on uh, cybersecurity. uh, And there has been a lot of focus recently. I mean, they do refer to the federal uh, NIST framework for cybersecurity. So you have all these uh, things like, you know, access controls, uh, encryption, uh, you know, different method- methods of securing your uh, platforms and solutions.
0: Yeah, that I can definitely see that being a, an incredibly challenge because it's an ongoing thing as well. You know, that, um, and I suppose it would speak to that post market surveillance or post market activities, uh, maintaining that 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 security of your device. Exactly. Um, yeah. Well, any other, th- I thought this was really good. Any other thoughts, comments, um, recommendations you can give to companies as they're, as they're gearing up their software as a medical device, either as it relates to testing or just in general?
1: Yeah, I think, I mean, uh, yeah, the, first of all, this, uh, the whole, uh, uh, this field is, is pretty, um, a dynamic. So even the regulations can change, um, Uh, You know, the software as a medical device, I mean, all the examples that I used in this uh, conversation so far were, I would say, more simple examples, you know, remote monitoring or image, uh, you know, uh, like image uh, analysis and all that. There are a lot of uh, other software as medical devices which are much more complex, like your AI-driven models, uh, machine learning, which also Mm -hmm. falls under uh, SMD and the guidance for that is changing because that those categories of software as medical device they can um, a- uh, automatically uh, adapt based on the inputs they are getting and they can learn uh, from as they go through more examples so you know so the, the guidance itself is changing in this area so you know companies that have products in that uh, in those type of products they need to make sure that they you know, they keep up with the latest guidance um, uh, I think if a company has a good uh, quality management system, um, you know, everything else kind of falls in place because they would have a way to, uh, keep, uh, keep track and monitor the changes, whether it's with the regulations or with the leading, uh, you know, high best practices, uh, it's, it's, the challenge is more for the companies that are, uh, that are more like software companies, which don't have that, uh, uh you know, QMS framework.
0: Yeah, that makes sense. So, and we definitely recommend, uh, uh, you know, going to the Greenlight Guru website if you need more information about some of these things. But do you, aside from that, you know, there's there's lots of different places you can get information. Do you have a recommendation, Raul, for, uh, um, for these companies that are maybe early on uh, just getting into the medical device world, coming from the software world?
1: Yeah, I think... Um- yeah, I think the companies that are, especially the ones that are new to this medical device world, they definitely would need some uh, help. I mean, it's yeah, it's 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 a lot of things to do, uh, especially when you're bringing out your first product. I think if you if you have you know multiple products, eventually you get a more mature state where you can kind of do it by yourself. But before that, I think uh, you know it definitely makes sense to take help of uh, professionals. Um, and there's a lot of information on the fda uh, websites about what you can do and what are the different categories and so on but i think it's uh, if you are considering especially uh, if your software falls under one of the categories where you need to go through a regulatory pathway uh, it makes sense to uh, uh, you know to do it a more professional way that makes sense well I appreciate it Raul.
0: You kept your promise. We talked Let me see if I can remember some of these. We had SAMD of course, MDDS, <laughs> which I didn't think I uh, knew the the what that acronym was for. Previously MDDS, uh, IMDRF, CSA, CSV. This was really good. Uh, so you kept your promise <laughs> with the acronyms. <laughs> um yeah. we'll definitely keep a link, put a link um, in our show notes to so they can find you and find uh, the Arbor Group, see what you're doing and and learn more about what you do at Arbor Group. And uh, so, yeah, very much appreciate this conversation. Thank you, Raul. Yeah, thank you, dude. All right. For those of you who've been listening, you've been listening to the Global Medical Device Podcast. Thank you for listening, and we will see you next time. Improving the quality of life. I know we say it a lot here at Greenlight Grew, and I'll bet it's something you probably said at your company, too. We help babies breathe at night. We give you another day to be a dad. We give you back your eyesight. Those are some of the things the medical device industry and our customers are able to say because that's what they're doing. They're improving the quality of life for these individuals. Greenlight Guru is the only quality management software designed exclusively for the medical device industry. We built our software around standards like ISO 13485 and risk-based principles to help you bring safer devices to market three times faster. We're building the tools that will make it easier for you to build yours. If you're ready to find out how to improve the quality of life, contact greenlight.guru today.